Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! In this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about some foundational strategies for building health and vitality. That sounds good. It's good stuff. Yeah. But before we get to that, we want to tell you that... We are not doctors. We are herbalists and holistic health educators. Ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the U.S., and these discussions are for educational purposes only. Everyone's body is different, so the things we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but they will give you some information to think about and to research further. We want to remind you that good health is your own personal responsibility. So the final decision in considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is always yours. Mm-hmm. Hey, Katya. Hey, Ren. Do we have any shout-outs this week? We do! All right, you guys. We have a bunch of shout-outs, and I lost all but three of them. And um, so everybody who sent a shout-out on Instagram and Facebook over the last two weeks, um, I got a big, warm fuzzy every time I read it, and then I wrote it on a note right on my desk, and then I don't know what happened. But I love you all, and if you want to hear your name on the pod, then send it again. I hope this is not one of those times where I thought I would just tidy up your desk for you and <laughs> cleared away some important scrap that was in its little place and I didn't quite notice. So well, that might have happened, but um, I hope not. Well, <laughs> and anyway, it is so nice of you to even care about helping me keep my terrible clutter of a desk pile <laughs> tidy. <laughs> but I do have these three that I'm super excited about. Jen Young, 2526, wrote us a really lovely review on iTunes, which we totally thank you for, and we'd love to sit down to tea with you, too. That would be so awesome. <laughs> and Susan Ashby is excited to take classes and also wants to make an appointment, and yay, you can do that. And we have a new um, podcast supporter whose name is Johanna, and we thank you so much. We are continuing with the podcast supporter videos this month on the topic of sleep and how to do it better. And that's been a lot of fun. We got a few more of them. Yeah, we still have a few more this month. I don't know what the topic for May is going to be. It's a mystery. You have to sign up to find out. (laughs) You can sign up um, as a supporter of this podcast on any page of our website, commonwealthherbs.com. It's right at the bottom. Uh, And if you do, we will thank you with a weekly video tailored just for you to help you in the month of April get better sleep and in the month of May do some other awesome thing. Some other awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, this is kind of related to our topic for this week um, on this podcast right here. Because this week, um, while we were filming some of our video courses, we were wrapping up the digestive health course. And we wanted to create a video that talked about our general approach to building health regardless of what your diagnosis is or even whether we know. Yeah, like maybe you have a health problem, but it never got diagnosed. Uh, what, what, how do we approach that? How do we work with that uh, sort of from the ground up? And that's what we were talking about. Yeah, you know, in our, in our current health system, or let's say the conventional health system uh, here in this country and, and some other ones, uh, somebody goes to see the doctor and they get a diagnosis and then, uh, ideally that gets fixed, <laughs> but, uh, holistic herbalism has a two pronged approach. So yes, we can look at something that's not working well and we can help that to function better with herbs. 
But we can also look at a situation and say, hey, your digestive system just isn't really functioning well overall. It's not like something specific is broken in you, but things are all kind of a little sluggish or not functioning right or maybe a little irritated or there there are problems, but they don't quite rise to the level of this is a diagnostic problem that needs to get fixed immediately. Um, so, you know, we can think about doing a kind of a total overhaul in a situation like that. How can we rebuild the system so that it works well and that it's healthy? Well, we've got a system for doing that too, uh, for that part of the, of the job or that part of the work. And sometimes that might be the first step for a person with complicated health issues. Let's do this first and then see what's left over. Yeah. So even if it isn't just a matter of like, I don't know, my guts are just always all over the place. Even if it is like, hey, I've got this complicated diagnosis. Um, there's still this foundational work where we can say, wow, that's you're right. That's really complicated. Why don't we start by sort of rebuilding and getting you to the healthiest possible place that we can without any direct like herbal intervention necessarily. I mean, there may be some herbs involved, but it isn't like a targeted, what's your herb for Crohn's disease? Like it's not that sort of a situation. It is, huh, wow, this is pretty complicated and nothing is really working right and everything really hurts. So Mm. how can we rebuild that? And then once we've done that rebuilding work, great. Then we will either target some herbs or you'll work with your doctor or whatever. But that is a really um, sort of systematic process that we have. And it's we're talking about the digestive system here, but actually we can work with this process whenever there's anything going wrong in the body and just say, well, how do we rebuild a healthy human so that like all of the things that can be optimized are, and then we can see what's left over and work with that. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes it plays out that way. Um, sometimes it's an ongoing process that we're going to be continuing through as we work to help a person manage some other health issue. Um, for practitioners out there, herbalists out there, this is also a good thing to have in your mind as a kind of fallback if somebody comes in and you know you talk to them and it turns out that their condition is too complex or too severe um, to manage safely with herbs, but maybe they have a... Um, a, a, you know, a, a conventional medicine plan that's in place and there might be some surgery or some, you know, high powered pharmaceuticals involved or whatever else. And you're over here thinking, oh boy, you know, I don't want to get in trouble with our drug interactions or, you know, maybe the person's other healthcare providers aren't really keen on the whole herbalism thing, but you can still help this person. There's yeah. a ton that we can do as holistic practitioners to give good advice around food and movement and better sleep and you know, reducing stress and all of that stuff goes a really long way. So um, don't write it off as not as important as the herbs. And right, <laughs> in a right. lot of cases, this has been the, the really foundational work that, that drives the, the process forward. Yeah. And so many times there's, there's crossover symptoms. And this allows us to reduce the number of variables in the situation, especially in a complex situation. Yeah. And then finally, this is sometimes a process we'll go through when somebody doesn't necessarily have a wrong thing. They, <laughs> they just, in big, big square quotes there, they just want to get healthier. Yeah. Because that's a valid goal. That's so, I, <laughs> We're we into get, that one. <laughs> we get that client sometimes, and it's really exciting where somebody comes in and says, well, look, it's not like anything's exactly wrong. It's just that I'm starting to realize that maybe I should 
you know, get healthier or someday I want to have a kid or, you know, like whatever. And I think I should just, I don't know, I just, I just want to work on my general health. Mm-hmm. And I get so excited when somebody comes in like that because it's like, yes, we definitely want to do that before anything's broken. <laughs> Yeah, so we sat down and we filmed a little segment about this exact baseline kind of work and the steps that we start to look at when we're helping someone to rebuild their health and their vitality. And then we realized, hey, you guys might like to have this strategy too, podcast land. (laughs) So we are giving it to you, and here it is. Here we go. We want to take a couple of minutes to just talk about a universal approach to cultivating good health. Yeah. Every person is different, and we work with each individual individually and differently <laughs> to help them get to a comfortable, healthy, resilient place. But the, there is a foundation that we start with in our thinking and also in our practice that can guide us as we think about how to work with each individual. Yeah. We accept that fundamentally the state of a human being, given all of the, let's call them expected inputs, uh, (laughs) will be generally healthy and resilient. And if we're not healthy and resilient, one place to start, even if we don't know what it is that's wrong, if we don't have a name for it, if we can't diagnose it in a specific manner, if we don't know what's wrong, but we still want to do something to cultivate good health, uh, we can try to assess what our current inputs are. Um, and how those deviate from the expected human inputs, um, and uh, then try to see which of those we can bring into line or bring more closely into alignment until things start to seem a little more clear. So what do we mean by expected human inputs? Well, humans developed over millennia in relationship with our environments, and so the way that we move our bodies and the way that we eat and the amount and the manners in which we sleep, the way that we manage stress. These are fundamental areas where what we're doing in the current world deviates drastically from what we as a species have been doing throughout the whole rest of our existence. So these changes have taken place in the last 10,000, 5,000, 500, and even like 100 years. And in each of those blocks, um, they have become incrementally and more drastically different from our historical sort of norms. Prehistorical even. Yeah, exactly. Yes, prehistorical. Yeah. Right. So, you know, while we're not necessarily looking to go back in time, and we're certainly not um, in the habit of trying to romanticize any particular point in history in a way that's not really accurate. Um, We are looking to figure out how we can incorporate those inputs, those um, things that we take in or we experience um, that our bodies expect or became habituated to over the course of a couple million years of evolution, um, and how we can um, incorporate those into our lives today. Yeah. So we're going to break that down for you. But before we do that, I want to be really clear that this can help anyone. And that's why this is what we start with. For example, a person who's insulin dependent, who has insulin dependent diabetes, they're still going to be insulin dependent. We can't really 
change that. We can't grow a new pancreas. That, that's not something that any number of herbs or actually even really conventional medical therapies right now can do much about. Yeah. But we can help them be stronger and more resilient, maybe to require less insulin on a day-to-day basis, maybe to have more metabolic flexibility, to have fewer symptoms, to have the diabetes itself progress more slowly. Those are things that we definitely can have an impact on, even though this person is still going to be taking their insulin and they're still going to be working with the conventional medical system as well. The goal here is not that no one should ever require conventional medicine. We have that stuff for a reason. Sometimes it's really, really important. Um, our real, our goal here is to help somebody be as strong, as resilient, as flexible as possible. And that's a place where we can really help impact their life with these strategies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another example, say somebody is uh, living with a disability or is differently abled, um, maybe somebody who uses a wheelchair, right? Now, the work that we do with them isn't necessarily going to mean that they don't still need their wheelchair. Um, it depends on how they got there, right? Sometimes, like, say, in the case of Terry Walls, um, who used a wheelchair for a while um, because she was suffering from some symptoms of multiple sclerosis, um, but then was able to to heal from that, um, was able to restore her nervous system and change her diet and movement habits and a bunch of other things and get to a point where the wheelchair was no longer required for her. So there are cases like that. But um, in some cases, your being in your wheelchair is your permanent state. Either you've been that way since, since you were small or the kind of injury you sustained or whatever brought you to there is something that's, that's permanent. Mm-hmm. And there's no herb or protocol that will change that. And you know what? The point here is we don't actually need to because in a lot of cases, what this person really needs to feel healthier and more resilient and more happy in the world has nothing to do with their chair, right? Um, And then quite apart from that, we can look at all of these factors that we're, we're thinking and talking about here and figuring out how to help that person be stronger and more resilient in all of the ways that they can. So what we're saying is that a person may still take a pharmaceutical, they may still work with their team of conventional doctors. Our goal is not to negate that when it's necessary. And the the necessity of a pharmaceutical or a conventional medical team doesn't mean that our work as herbalists failed. Mm -hmm. What we're looking to do is to build as much strength into the system as possible and as much resilience and as much metabolic flexibility as possible. That way, when we get to the place where we've done all of that work and we're going to make a decision about which herbs are going to be appropriate to help this person or maybe which pharmaceuticals that they're going to make that decision with their doctor that might still be appropriate, those herbs or those medical therapies are going to just be focused at what's left. We're not trying to pick herbs for a particular problem as it exists in a state that's exacerbated by unaddressed food intolerances, for example, or as it exists in a state that's exacerbated by unmitigated stress factors or by being in a state of sleep debt. We're removing those factors and then choosing our herbs, our protocols specifically for what remains afterwards. Yeah. 
And, you know, in our experience, uh, when we do that work, when we remove some of those fundamental aggravators or obstacles to, to vibrant health, then the work that we do with herbs is so much more successful. Um, and again, or if the pharmaceuticals are necessary, that work will be more successful and have fewer side effects. If we do this foundational work first and throughout the, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what that foundational work is. We're going to start off, actually, you could start with any, we're going to go through four items here, and you could start with any of the four. Um, We talked about this in our um, four keys of holistic health course as well. Um, But we just want to touch on these to be really clear for you that these are the things that we want to work on, but you can do them in any order or concurrently. That's totally fine. But I have to start somewhere, so I'm going to start with food. So as we talked about in the holistic nutrition course, the current mainstream food inputs are not what the human body expects to receive. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of sugar, lots of refined carbs, lots of things that have been like powdered and pulverized and reconstituted in various ways. And not enough vegetables, not enough um, good fibery vegetables, Mm. um, not even necessarily always enough protein in forms that we expect it. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of deviations in the modern diet versus your 10,000 years ago diet, your 5,000 years ago, 100 years ago diet. Um, it's changed a lot. You know, there's lots of things that we eat habitually that, you know, a couple of generations ago they wouldn't have even recognized or yeah. um, wouldn't know what to do with. And, you know, as far as your physiological body is concerned, sometimes it doesn't quite know what to do with the things <laughs> that you eat in a day. Um, and so, yeah, that can, be a, that can be a real source of trouble. Also, a lot of times the symptoms that we get from eating things that our body doesn't necessarily recognize as food and Oreos, I'm looking at you here, um, a lot of times those symptoms cross over with a lot of different pathologies. So it can often be difficult to tell, are these symptoms coming because I have an Oreo habit? Um, And if you have an Oreo habit, no judgment, Oreos are awesome. Um, Or are these symptoms coming because of a particular pathological diagnosis? We don't know. Maybe it's both. Maybe they're being heavily exacerbated by my Oreo habit. And if I remove that part of the issue, then what's left over pathologically might be drastically reduced. So we want to be looking at how can we build our sort of nutritional habits so that they more closely resemble what humans were consuming throughout uh, the majority of our history. Which doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be out there hunting wild caribou and <laughs> digging up tiger nut tubers and stuff like that. I thought you were going to say hunting wild carrots. Yeah, you can have, you can have those too. <laughs> that would be good. Um, and those activities are, are indeed good for you, right? Mm-hmm. But um, again, this isn't like a paleo reenactment kind of a game. Right. right. We're, you know, we're saying that this is a, a useful framework for understanding some of the ways in which our modern environment is different from the environment our bodies have, have you know, grown accustomed to expect through evolutionary programming over the really long term. Uh, and that is the lens that we find very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't answer every single question out there, but it is a really fun, great place to start. Um, and uh, and that's why we like it. Yeah. 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 All right. So, you know, let's talk about movement next. And I was actually starting to think about movement even in the context of food because one of the things that's different about our modern food environment is we don't necessarily have to work our bodies too hard to acquire some food. Um, You know, this is an insight I I sort of 
uh, got picked up from Katie Bowman, who's written a lot about movement. And in one of her books, Movement Matters, she's talking a lot there. There's a whole section of it about the way that we've outsourced our food-based movements, right? That we don't even necessarily chop up our own carrots anymore and stuff no. like that. Um, let alone, like, dig it from the garden and wash it off and chop it up. Well, and before it you dig thing. it from the garden, all the heavy work that was required to grow it in the garden. Build your garden, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So this is one, like, microcosm or, like, one example of um, a whole rainbow of situations where our movement patterns in the modern world don't really match um, what our ancestors had to do just to survive, right? Mm. Um, And wait, before you go on, I do want to just say that sometimes pre-chopped carrots uh, are the way that you can manage getting carrots into your life because your schedule is such that you have time to like throw together a salad or throw together a dinner, but you don't have time to do all the chopping and prep work because that's an extra half an hour. Mm -hmm. And so the decision to buy pre-cut vegetables might mean that you're getting vegetables and not eating takeout, for example. And that's a completely valid and appropriate decision to make. But it's also really excellent in that time to recognize, oh, I would have stood here chopping for a while and maybe I need to do something in my day to make sure that I'm getting some equivalent kind of movement or some kind of movement. And so just to use that as an example to recognize like, ah, yes, okay, there would have actually been so much more movement in my life. Yeah. And there's another piece to this too, because this isn't all about sedentism. It's not all about you need to move more, you need to work more, you need to get out there and really push it. Like, that's true for a lot of people, that we could have more movement in our day, and that would be really good for us. But um, for some people, they're on their feet all day at work, or they're Mm -hmm. using their body physically all day at work. And for them, it's not necessarily that we're saying, you need to move more. We might be saying, we could move a little bit differently. We could find ways to make sure that your movements are well aligned and, you know, well coordinated and that they're more sustainable over the long run. Maybe less repetitive. Right, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, because that is the other way in which, you know, movement inputs that people are experiencing today don't match our ancestral experience. Um, maybe they move, but it's very limited in terms of the shape or the the repetition that they're, they're working in. So this isn't all about go to the gym more often. Right. Um, in fact, you know, if you like a gym, great. If you're not really into it, don't worry. There's plenty of other places to move around. Um, I encourage you to find a tree and visit that. And find some ways you can move together with your tree. It's a good thing. <laughs> I love, um, speaking of Katie Bowman, she has a hashtag that she uses all the time. Um, and it is very your carry. Mm. And she's recognizing that as humans, we carry things a lot. And that uh, we can use that as a place where we can expand the types of movements that we have. So even just a really basic thing is if you carry a backpack to and from work, then instead of carrying it in exactly the same way on the same shoulder every single time, sometimes carry it on one shoulder, sometimes the other, sometimes in a hand, maybe over your head, maybe on your head. Turn it around and put the backpack in front of your body and see how you lean forward or backward in your habitual standing positions. Yeah, sometimes just carry it by that top handle in one hand or in the other hand, swinging around sometimes. (laughs) Like all the different ways that you can carry the bag that you carry with you every day anyway, um, it's a simple, simple thing that can get more types of movement into your day. Or if you're at the grocery store and you're walking from the grocery store to your car, you're carrying a bag of groceries, well, how many different ways can you carry that 
um, again, because every time that you change it, you are changing the way that you're using your muscles and the way that your body is coordinating all of its different efforts. Mm. So something as simple as that can really start to make a big change in your body. Yeah. Okay. So um, when you maybe add a little more movement or move differently, then you might feel a little more soreness at the end of the day. You might feel a little more inclined to go to bed. (laughs) You might feel a little tired. Yeah. And that might be good for you. Our current mainstream sleep inputs are not what our human bodies expect. Uh, We see clients, and I can't even tell you how many clients come in and say, I don't understand why I'm so tired. I'm getting seven hours of sleep a night. And... I think that, you know, today we just don't realize that the human body really requires about nine hours of sleep. And that's an adult body. A teenager in puberty actually requires even more, maybe 12, maybe even more than that hours of sleep a night. And a child varies in how much they need throughout their different phases of development. But a human adult requires nine hours of sleep every night. Does that strike you as crazy? Do you think, how on earth would I find the time to sleep nine hours a night? It's not really negotiable. We have a very complex to-do list that can only happen while we're sleeping. And those tasks are the detoxification that our liver is doing of just our everyday crud that has to get out of the body. There's repair work that Um, happens in all different parts of our bodies. There's just regular old immune system surveillance that helps protect us from getting sick or helps us recover when we are sick. And all those things require a certain amount of time to accomplish. And they've done all these interesting studies. A lot of those are mediated by hormones. A lot of those tasks are mediated by hormones. And you can measure how long those hormones take to do that work. So it really is very interesting to look at it and say, like, mm, that like that work really takes about not you can kind of shave it down maybe to eight and a half hours, but it takes about nine hours to do that work. And if you don't do it, you feel it in the morning. And if you consistently don't do it, then consistently things will start to wear out. Just like if you don't replace the oil in your car, or ch- you know, that eventually things are going to wear out. That's not going to work well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sleep is really critical, and you know, for most of us, it's a question of getting a bit more, and sometimes about improving the quality of the sleep that you are getting. Um, and again, you know, when we start to get to the place where we're um, working with an individual and trying to figure out the specific herb or formula that's going to be right for them, we need to know more than just not sleeping well or not sleeping enough, but like, what does your pattern look like? And that's the place where we're going to start and being more specific with our plants. But the general concept that we could think differently about sleep, that we could plan differently about sleep, <laughs> and that that would help us. Um, that applies to pretty much everyone. Mm. Yeah. So then we're going to come to stress. Now, I'm not really certain that modern life is more stressful than previous times in history, or at least not all previous times in human history. It's kind of really hard to know, actually. But there are some unique stressors in today's environment that we can work to mitigate. And the constancy of the stress stimulation is another thing that we can mitigate. And that might be unique to our time in history. Hmm. I mean, I think that if you lived through a war, then then it's not unique. There would have been that uh, constancy then too, but... Yeah, but, you know, decades-long wars are 
a new thing yeah in some ways yeah well anyway so like what we basically want to say here is that um that that what we experience today uh it's not really working for us <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's true regardless of how different or the same it has been throughout human experience a lot of stress is har- harmful it just is not good for the body yeah So there are things that we can do to recognize the impact of stress and to counteract it. In particular, it's really important to recognize that consistent exposure to the hormones that our bodies create in a stressful environment without breaks in between to mitigate that stress and come back down from it and to have community support and personal support and and recovery time from those stress periods that has very measurable and specific impacts on the body that are quite harmful. Mm. So that is something that we can really work to mitigate, um, both from a sort of seeing what we can do about changing that pattern of stress, but also there are a lot of herbs that can help us mitigate some of those negative effects from the responses that our bodies make to stress. Yeah, Right. And again, to, to think about like broader than the herbs, but the whole like holistic paradigm here, mm-hmm. um, when we, when we experience stress, we have to recognize that it's a reaction and you maybe have had the experience of being in an environment that you found stressful, but somebody next to you did not. And maybe for you, it was, you know, bringing a lot up and you were feeling very anxious and tight breathing and all of that. And somebody there was just like, just chill, just totally relaxed. <laughs> so that's, not to say that you need to just turn off your brain and not get stressed anymore. And what like are you so some, worried about? Yeah, you know? it's like it's not like there's something wrong with you because you feel stress in that environment and somebody else didn't. Yeah. There's not something wrong with them because they didn't feel stress. Right. But it's more to say, oh, this is a matter of reaction. And our reactions are something that we don't have 100% control over, but we can influence mm-hmm. through our, our habits and the ways that we think and the way that we practice thinking and practice reacting. And usually the way people call that is meditation. Um, (laughs) So there's lots of different kinds of meditation. If you've tried one and it wasn't for you, then don't give up. Um, It's kind of like, it's kind of like, like yoga, I guess, where there's lots of kinds and not all of them are for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah. So uh, uh, try that out, see if there's one that appeals to you, but remember that the goal isn't to become empty inside. Sometimes it's sort of stated that way, but secretly that's just a ploy to get you to do the thing and experience how hard it is to get there and (laughs) to learn the skill of trying to identify your emotions or to Mm -hmm. identify your responses and to prod them a little bit in a safe, quiet place and say, do I actually need you? Are you, are you really the best way to react here? (laughs) Are Um, you actually helping me in this situation? Yeah. So, you know, one of the ways uh, meditation teachers will, will say this is that the real work happens off the cushion, right? You sit down on your cushion, you meditate, you're doing some practice work, but then it's in the real world that the, the benefits and, and the, um, uh, the changes are actually going to show up for you. Yeah. And meditation isn't the only way to work with stress. Right. Uh, this actually is a place where... It's almost like every single thing is a factor. The food we eat is a factor in managing stress. The amount of sleep that we get, the amount of movement that we get. And there's been a jillion studies, even just specifically on movement and stress and movement and anxiety or and depression. Mm -hmm. But this is also a place where I, I feel like we would turn to the herbs a lot faster 
because mm. there are so many herbs that can really help us manage and mitigate the different types of stress that we experience in a day and more specifically the different types of reactions and responses that we as individuals feel towards them mm. even just between Rin and I we have really different responses to different types of stress um, in some situations I may feel really stressed out about something and feel like I need to control it and like uh, I need to make sure that a certain outcome happens and he may not feel that way about it but then there might be another issue where he does feel that way and I'm kind of like you know that doesn't really matter it's fine Um, and our individual personalities and individual tendencies to have certain types of reactions actually match up really beautifully to different herbs who are really particularly good at helping on that emotional sort of level with our stress response. So that is a place where um, maybe even sooner than for some of these other issues, I would really be looking at herbal support um, kind yeah. of right from the, even even to incorporate into the foundational work. Yeah. And, you know, you were saying there that that your experience of stress is influenced by your food, your movement, your sleep. But of course, this goes the other way as well, right? So your capacity to sleep is often strongly influenced by how much stress you're experiencing. Mm. The kind of foods that you eat or that you desire are heavily influenced by the kind of stress you're experiencing. And the way you move is influenced by how you sleep. And the way you sleep is influenced by what you eat. And they all connect into each other. And so that's why these are the fundamentals that we tend to focus on. That's also why it doesn't really matter where you start. Pick the one that's the most interesting to you or the one that feels the easiest to get started with mm. and just start there. And and know that you're going to look at the other ones too, but pick the easiest place to start. Because if you just start somewhere, you're going to start seeing improvements, not just in that one place, but in the other areas because they're all influencing each other. And as you start to see an improvement in one area, it's going to get a lot easier to start making changes in other areas, even other areas that maybe seem really challenging right now, as you get stronger and healthier and have more energy, then it is actually easier to start working on things that maybe in the past seemed really hard. Yeah. So this this kind of thinking and planning and habit change and everything, this, is, this isn't medicine. This is cultivation of good health. Mm. And that means it's for everybody. This is for sick people. It's for healthy people. It's for all people. Because all of us can cultivate better health. And we can all start by asking, what does my animal being require today? Right? Um, And if that feels like a little weird, then here's what I mean. If you have a dog, you probably already know what I'm talking about. Um, Every day, our dog, Elsie, requires some good food, Mm -hmm. some time to run and jump and play, some scritches and some cuddles, uh, somewhere interesting to go and sniff and explore, and some nice naps and a good comfy spot to sleep in. She needs that. That's what she wants. That's what she feels good when she has those things. When she doesn't have them all, she doesn't feel too good. We can tell. We can tell. Because we pay attention to yeah. her. You know? And the thing is that she needs those things and we do too. Right? Yeah. I feel so much better on days when I get to go out and climb a tree. I feel so much better on days when we cook something really good and nourishing and, you know, out of the garden or whatever. Just good I for feel us. really good on a day that I take a break and actually let my brain come out of my work for a while. But all of these things 
whether we're talking about the things that we are willing to do for our pets, but we're not willing to do for ourselves, uh, or what, however we look at it, all of these things, especially as human adults in this time and in this place, often what we say to ourselves is, well, there's no time for that. That's a luxury. I have to work. And the society that we live in often tells us that also. And our bosses often tell us that. And the financial reality that we live with often tells us that. But that doesn't make it true. The reality is we actually do need some time to rest in a day. And so foundationally, no matter who we're working with, we want to look at the reality of your life, the reality of the fact that you've got bills to pay and you have a job that you have to keep and not get fired from and and you've got kids to take care of and whatever else is going on in your life. But to look at that and say, what areas are negotiable? Where is there room for us to be creative? And there's always a little bit of room. It might only be five minutes here and there. We may only be able to make small changes at first, but there's always some little thing that we can do to get a little bit of improvement. And then we can build on that. And especially when we're trying to help someone who is not feeling their best, who's feeling really cruddy right now, those little areas of improvement are going to make a huge difference when we then start looking at our herbal protocols um, in terms of the success that we have. Mm -hmm. So that's our plan. That's our schema. And we apply that to all things, to our own lives, to the work we do with clients, to the way that we structure our classes. Um, And so we wanted to make sure that we laid that out for you. And um, we hope that it made sense. We welcome your comments. And as you move through the rest of this course, and especially as we get into the different pathological aspects of this particular system, we want you to be thinking about this foundational work as you're thinking about, oh, well, how would I work with that? Which herbs would I choose? We also want you to really get in the habit of thinking, oh, what foundational work would be most important to start with for that particular problem? Or... um, Especially if you have someone in mind, uh, maybe someone in your life who has a cardiovascular problem or who is dealing with eczema or, or whatever else, and you're thinking about that person in particular, you love them and you're wanting to try to help them with the new herbal knowledge that you're learning. And so you're thinking, oh, what herb would really help this person that I love? But we want you to also be thinking about, oh, What else do I need to be thinking about about their lives that I can help them creatively find a way to build more resilience and maybe get a little bit more sleep? And, oh, maybe there are some changes to the diet that I could think about that would really make my herbal efforts much more successful. All right, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that and uh, found it inspiring. And helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Holistic Herbalism Podcast. Until then, take care of yourselves, drink tea. Climb a tree. Go outside. <laughs> pet a dog. Yes. Yeah. And also, get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye.